Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, it's an urgent matter, isn't it? The Pac-12 Conference's future has become an urgent matter. The Pac-12 CEO group uh, has watched UCLA-USC defect to the Big Ten Conference. They are now hunkered down, the Pac-12 conference, trying to plot their course of action. You're hearing a lot of information and a lot of misinformation. I'm watching uh, Twitter and reading and fielding a lot of questions from readers. I've been writing at johnconzano.com. If you uh, want to know what's going on, grab a subscription there. Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you. But I wrote twice there today because this is how fluid it is. It literally is moving in real time as we watch the Pac-12 try to figure out what it's going to do. The news this morning, at least from the conference's standpoint, was uh, a move to uh, uh, you know inform the public that they are going to go early. They're going to accelerate their media rights negotiation, which means that they are going to begin negotiating on the media rights contract that forever former Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott told us was something they wanted to wait for 2024 and beyond to talk about. That won't wait now. It can't afford to wait because college football and the landscape of college athletics is moving forward, and it will move forward without the Pac-12 if it doesn't get its act together. So what are the plausible scenarios? And how nervous should you be if you're a Washington State fan or an Oregon State fan? And, and uh, you know, how, uh, how uh, you know, optimistic can you afford to be if you're an Oregon fan and you want to be with the halves of college football? That's what Oregon fashions itself, right, after all. And also, if you are just a fan of college athletics, can I just take a moment here to mourn and lament the loss of tradition the loss of all the natural rivalries, the loss of geography when it comes to our college football campuses, the pursuit of the almighty dollar, you know, full force ahead, full steam ahead, what matters money to these universities. I would have taken a more holistic approach. I would have advocated for a more holistic approach. But this is where we are. This is the sports world that we live in today. And I've got some details here. Now, I'm going to caution you that you're going to hear a lot of stuff and you're going to see a lot of stuff on social media that is secondhand, thirdhand stuff. I'm only going to share with you things that I know to be true, things that I have vetted. I've heard a whole bunch of other things, wild things, wild, uh, ridiculous things when it comes to where the Pac-12 could end up. Or I just heard a radio show host on uh, a national host say that the death of the Pac-12 is imminent. Based on what exactly? I don't think the Pac-12 is going to die. I think the Pac-12 is going to look very different. I think it's been a really bad week for the Pac-12. But I'm told several different things that give me hope, and I'm going to share some of those with you. I also want your phone calls on today's show. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. 
Uh, give me your phone calls. You can line up now. We will have uh, great guests on today's show. We're going to talk to the former president of Fox Sports Networks, Bob Thompson. He's a University of Oregon grad. He's a Pac-12 guy. He is, I think, a little torn up over what we're seeing with uh, the Pac-12 and uh, is specifically USC and UCLA. But uh, I'm also uh, going to visit on today's show with Bill Moose, the former athletic director at Washington State in Oregon and also Nebraska. He was an athlete when the uh, conference was the Pac-8 conference. He was an administrator at Oregon when it was the Pac-10 conference. He was there when it became the Pac-12 conference. Bill Moose went on to Nebraska, which moved to the Big Ten. He's got some great insight for people who are kind of wondering what's going to happen to USC, what's going to happen to UCLA. Um, Bill Moose will be joining us at 4 o'clock. So we got great guests today with a bunch of your phone calls today, and I'm going to try to get the information to you in a way that, uh, that, I, that I think is fair and accurate. Uh, and I think what we're really seeing right now nationally is a whole bunch of people who don't know what's going on guessing at what's going on. And I don't think that's helping the conversation right now because I'm even myself, I'm spending a large portion of my morning sort of sifting through things that are, you know, half true or maybe could happen. And what I really want to talk about is what is true and what is going to happen. Here's what I know when it comes to the Pac-12 conference. I know that Phil Knight and the University of Oregon, in the wake of UCLA and USC defecting to the Big Ten, very much wanted to tailgate the Bruins and the Trojans right into the Big Ten Conference or get into the SEC. There's some opposition in the SEC to taking Oregon, maybe because the SEC teams have traditionally, or at least in recent years, found themselves in competition with Oregon for recruits. Maybe it's because the media market, the state of Oregon, even Portland, Eugene, the uh, our entire state doesn't really register on uh, the Richter scale of television media rights, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, the Big Ten Conference and the SEC lukewarm at best in approaching Oregon or being interested in Oregon as an entity. That's not to say that Oregon isn't going to end up in one of those places, but I do think it's a little bit of a long shot, and if Oregon does end up in the Big Ten or the SEC, I think that is on the horizon, not on the near term. It would probably be a last resort, last ditch Oregon would have to take uh, less money in media rights uh, funding in order to make that work for the Big Ten. But at this point, I just don't think the Big Ten is all that interested in having Oregon uh, as one of its conference members. What I am told also is that the block of teams that everybody has penciled in as potential Big 12 teams, that is Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado, uh, that that block, at least this morning, as of this morning, and, and uh, Stephen and Sean, you can get in my ear if something changes, but at least as of this morning, I was being told by several of those universities that this was not imminent, that they did not plan to break away from the Pac-12 conference and join the Big 12, that they were only exploring that as a contingency and the, much of the misinformation that we're hearing nationally, I think, is coming from the Big 12 Conference that is very nervous about itself being obliterated, it being uh, you know, rendered, I guess, ineffective and, and hollow 
by the rest of college athletics if everybody else moves on without him. Now, I said this last week, and I want to remind you. I said last week that only one between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 could survive. I, I maintain that only one will survive this week, but I think the Pac-12 is in better position as of today, Tuesday, as you look at what is going on in college athletics. What I am told is that the Pac-12 CEO group is uh, now eyeing a quote-unquote loose partnership with another conference. It dovetails with what I wrote at johnconzano.com this morning. I posted it again. Uh, I posted uh, twice today, which is unusual. I only do that usually when there's something important, and, and I think this is important because the column I wrote this morning was mostly about Oregon's wishes to be included in the Big Ten or the SEC and Phil Knight not wanting to be left out and the Ducks you know, trying to get in there. But the Pac-12 statement this morning indicating that they were given the go-ahead to accelerate the media rights negotiations tells me that they have a potential TV partner who may be initiating all of this loose partnership discussion. Now, what does a loose partnership look like? Sounds too much like the Alliance for my comfort, but a loose partnership, I'm told, would include a shared media rights deal with ESPN, who currently works with the ACC, they have a deal with the ACC through 2036, and they also have part of the deal with the Pac-12 conference. So they have been a friendly in the Pac-12 world, and they have certainly been a partner in the ACC world. So it means that ESPN, if they're driving the bus there, uh, that they are in opposition of Fox trying to put this thing together. It also means that the 10 remaining Pac-12 teams under this proposal, this loose partnership, would be sticking together, and that in football the winner of the 10-team division would then play a conference title game against the ACC, presumably in Las Vegas at the end of the season. Now, that could be really attractive, and it could be attractive to schedule some regular season crossover games between what would be the ACC and the Pac-12, eliminate all of those crossover games with the SEC or the Big Ten, because why would you? after they did what they did to you. And so what I could see forming here would be some really good men's basketball matchups, some football matchups that could be favorable. You would be adding, uh, you know, potentially uh, TV markets like Boston and Atlanta and Miami, uh, among others. Uh, you also then uh, would put a lot of pressure on the Big 12 just to exist because I think at that point the Big 12 conference is left out in the cold and there are three super conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, then some separation between them and the ACC Pac-12. But still, I think you're with the haves if we're dividing a line between haves and have-nots when it comes to uh, the ACC Pac-12 possibility of a merger. Again, nothing is imminent. I do think that it is urgent, though. There is a sense of urgency. The Pac-12 uh, signaled that this morning when they said, hey, we're going to move forward, uh, you know, we're going to accelerate our media rights negotiations. I think that's a really important distinction. Keep an eye on that. But I want to talk all about it on today's show. we got a ton of stuff to talk about. we got world championships coming to the state of Oregon. You have Harry Glickman. Uh, they're going to have his memorial service at the end of this week. I want to talk a little bit about the godfather of sports in the state of Oregon on today's show. We're also going to talk about the Blazers. Why in the world Jody Allen would come out and 
issue a statement saying they're not for sale out of the blue, not being asked about it. They're not for sale, she wants everyone to know. Well, I'll tell you what I think is behind that. Also, though, we'll visit with our big guest, Bob Thompson, coming up, the former president of Fox Sports Networks, Bill Moose, the former AD at Nebraska, Oregon, and Washington State. Great show for you today. Leave it locked in right here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Coming up, Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports. I'm going to get him to tell us what Oregon is worth in a media rights negotiation. Why did UCLA and USC go? What is television thinking about? If ESPN really is behind this potential partnership between the ACC and the Pac-12, uh, you know, what can they do or how real does that get? Bob Thompson worked in that world, negotiated deals in all of those conferences on behalf of Fox. He's joining us next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I got a message from somebody who said, hey, you know what? Tradition doesn't matter anymore. Geography doesn't matter anymore, does it? It's all about television money. Well, it sure looks that way in college athletics. And if we're going to talk about TV and college athletics, we need to talk with Bob Thompson. Bob Thompson is the former president of Fox Sports Networks. Uh, he began his career in the 80s. He was selling cable television subscriptions in Aloha, Oregon. Grew up in Portland, attended the University of Oregon, so he's got a dog in the fight. Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports Networks, joining us. Thank you for making time, and thank you for your expertise. Thanks, thanks for having me, John. Let's talk about you know that that idea, you know, tradition, uh, you know, geography. These are things that used to matter. It, it appears as though the teams are all chasing money now in TV deals. You've negotiated these deals for years at Fox. Uh, what do you make of what we're seeing on the landscape? Well, it's not really surprising these types of movements tend to happen as the existing television contracts <clears throat> come to their, you know, their end. Um, we saw it back in 2010 and 11 with some movement out of the um, Big 12 to the SEC and from the Big 12 to the Big 10. And so it's not surprising that if this was going to happen, it, it would be happening about now. Yeah, and I see UCLA and USC go, and I know you and I have talked off-air about the financials of that, but help us understand when the Big Ten is looking to add members and it's got a billion-dollar deal that has been reported, what do they need to see in order to be interested in teams? Because I think Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal – you know, there are a lot of programs looking, going, hey, why not us? Why those two L.A. schools? Right. Well, the first things that the conferences look at are certainly market size, history, tradition, uh, the brands, um, fan base size, size, general interest in the program. And that's all very important to the conference. Then, you know, you bring in the TV aspect, and what the TV guys are looking at is certainly the market size because that generates ad revenue. So they're trying to figure out what the good matchups are going to be, what the rates are going to be, what the projections will look like from an ad sales standpoint. Then the TV networks also look at the, the subscription revenues. Now, whether you're a broadcast network or a cable network like the Big Ten network, you charge your, your cable operators a fee to carry those channels. And in the case 
of the broadcast networks, they charge the cable operators as well. And so they're going to estimate how much they're going to generate in revenue from those two sources. In the case of a conference channel like the Big Ten Network, there's usually a rate card that is kind of somewhat bifurcated in that in the core territory or the home states of the schools that are involved in the conference, there's a fee of X, let's say a buck, per sub, per month. And in the markets outside of the conference, it would be significantly less, so say 25 cents. And so by flipping what was once an outer market the size of Southern California, I don't think they could get away with charge, charging a dollar in the whole state of California, but by flipping Southern California from <clears throat> the outer market fee to the inner market fee, um, you're going to generate some significant dollars. Then the other things they look at is certainly what the comparables are for other conferences. You know, everybody's got a feel of where everybody needs to, to be in the, in the scale of things. And then, you know, how many schools are in the conference, what the inventory is going to be, what kind of windows you've got to show the games, et cetera. And then last but not least is, you know, it's, a lot of it comes down to your gut. You know, the people who negotiate these deals, at whether I don't care what network you're talking about, all of them have been doing this a long time, and they've got a gut, and they, they, they'll follow their gut. We're, we're talking to Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports Network. Uh, Bob, let me ask you, you know, uh, if the Big Ten is looking to expand. Uh, you know, we've all seen the reports about Notre Dame. There are some fan bases like Stanford and Washington and Oregon are going, hey, why not us? I, I keep pointing back to the to the numbers, the financials of what they could bring potentially in a TV deal. Am I reading that right? Yes, definitely. I think if you know I'm a school or an institution looking at bringing in additional schools, I'm going, okay, well, we're going to split the money 16 ways instead of 14 ways. So am I going to be able to um, go back to my TV partners and say, all right, I want to not be diluted on a per year payout by school. So you're gonna give me something comparable for those teams we're adding so that everybody stays the same. The only other option, which has happened in the past, would be for schools to agree to take a lesser distribution over some period of years uh, until they become a quote, full-fledged distribution partner. That's currently happening in the Big Ten right now with Maryland and Rutgers. I think Nebraska is is out of the doghouse and getting a full um, a full distribution now. Let me ask you because you know you worked in this world and you have negotiated deals uh, with Fox and uh, a number of conferences. Uh, it appears now that you know ESPN was driving the Texas and Oklahoma defection to the SEC, and now Fox has made its move with UCLA and USC. Has it always been that way? Is TV steering this in prior decades or is this new stuff Bob uh, I think it's safe to say that there's not many conference maneuvers that don't happen without some input from television I don't want to say that television is driving the bus on the changes but I guarantee you Fox didn't find out about this on Thursday morning <laughs> It, it 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 just uh, it blows my mind that we you know we're looking at such a transitional time uh the the latest uh the latest report is that 
the Pac-12 is considering a loose partnership with the ACC. Uh, the ACC has a deal, as you know, that runs through 2036. The Pac-12 has d done business with ESPN, and ESPN is their partner. Um, how would that work in your mind if, if the Pac-12 is bringing its 10 teams into the fold and the ACC is on the other side? How does TV glue that together? Well, that's it's a little bit of a problematic scenario, if you ask me, because in order for you know, these guys to be joined at the hip somehow, someone's going to have to create a new grant of rights, correct? So the schools grant their rights to the conferences, and then the conferences com compile those rights and then sell them to the networks. Um, certainly, I think that's probably one of the reasons why they moved up the media negotiation window for the, for the Pac-12. Uh, they can certainly ascertain very quickly in the next 30 days whether or not Fox is interested. Say that 30 days pass, Fox is not interested, they can then go ahead and cut a deal with ESPN. Uh, the ACC side, though, given that their grant of rights is till 2036, if somehow they open up their grant of rights, the possibility there exists that you're opening up the barn door and a few of the mm. horses are going to run out of the corral. Mm. Um, and so you've, you've got to make sure that everybody's committed so that, you know, once those rights do open up, you're not letting people out. They've got to be firmly committed. Is that why so maybe – yeah, go ahead. I, I, I don't think it's impossible for that type of an alliance, and certainly it could be very beneficial because you're probably not going to have to do quite so much traveling. Um, you know, maybe there's some – uh, you play a couple of ACC teams a year, and the ACC plays a couple of Pac-12 teams a year, but you're not going back every week. Mm. Um, and it probably certainly helps for uh, the you know the non non basketball football sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking just thinking out loud here. You know, uh, I was told that they were exploring a loose partnership. And now I'm wondering if the reason why it has to be a loose partnership is that grant of rights that you mentioned with 2036 because then if it were just a partnership maybe the ACC doesn't open up the the uh, the rights there that's possible but I think right now if I'm in the Pac-12 I'm probably a little concerned about anything considered to be loose or not <laughs> right amen to that uh, you know, give me an idea because you know people have asked me why does Bob Thompson care so much about this because you know you've been quoted about it and why do you care so much Oh, it's just something uh, I've always, you know, continue to have an interest, even though I'm not working full-time anymore. And you combine that with the fact I had rotator cuff surgery three weeks ago. I've got plenty of time on my hands right now. <laughs> you're, you're, the history of this conference has uh, flown out the window, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, as you, as you look at media rights markets of the Big 12 versus maybe the ACC, um, which of those two conferences do you think is more attractive if you're going to partner with one of those and in, in you're the Pac-12? Um, Big 12 or ACC? Yep, just from a media standpoint. Uh, ACC, without a doubt. Um, if you put the geography aside, the markets are significantly better. I mean, you total up all the ACC TV homes in the top 40 markets, and you give them New York because Syracuse is there. That's like 28 million homes. Big 12, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more like 14 million homes. So wow. 
it's a it's a big difference. Yeah, that's not even close when when you uh, compare those two things. Um, uh, you know, I I uh, I don't want to keep you too long here, but you know, what do you think the future of this looks like? Well, you know, none of us I don't think could have foreseen the Big Ten taking USC and UCLA a decade ago, or maybe uh, we didn't see it trending in that direction. Um, you know, as long as there are multiple bidders, Fox. ESPN, maybe some of the streaming services. Uh, you know, let me ask you that: how much, how much do you think the streaming services will factor moving forward, or are we always going to see the big players, Fox, ESPN, CBS, etc., uh, you know, have first dibs? I think for now, the streaming services won't be in a first position. I think what you probably will see is um, some of the conferences begin to carve out. Uh, streaming portions. In fact, you know, ESPN is already doing that with ESPN Plus. I mean, they've got a streaming component with the Big 12. They've got a streaming component with the ACC and the SEC. So they're they're doing that. If you're talking about people like Netflix, uh, Apple TV Plus, those type of things, I think you know maybe a piece here and there, but not as a primary carrier. No MLS type deal where they're going to you know put all their rights on Apple. Let me ask you, what, what do you think happens to the Pac-12 networks? Well, I think it's probably not going to continue as seven feeds, I mean, or even six feeds if you get rid of the Southern California feeds. Um, I think it was uh, not the, the correct um, architecture to begin with. Um, I think if they had proceeded along the lines as we did with the Big Ten Network and, and subsequently S, uh, the SEC and ACC did with their networks, um, you know, single feed with the media partner who's got the chops to get the thing distributed, um, it, it, it would have been a much more successful venture. And I think in the future, if it's around, it's going to look more like that. We're talking to Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports Networks. Notre Dame, Bob, if I could just ask you there, how, how important is it for Notre Dame to, uh, to uh, get on board with a conference at this point versus staying independent? Well, you know, Notre Dame's always been that elusive catch. Um, I think for Notre Dame, what they have to figure out is if all of a sudden – you know, you're down to two or three conferences and you've got to play nine or maybe even ten conference games um, so they at least pay, play everybody in your conference every third year, it's going to be more difficult for them to schedule and to get games as an independent. I think that may have been one of the reasons BYU ran into the Big 12 arms. Um, I don't know of a lot of teams or schools that would turn down a home and home with Notre Dame, but if you're locked into X number of conference games, um, you know it might be it might just be tough and uh, for Notre Dame to get some to get a quality schedule. But you know they're still Notre Dame, and I think while they certainly control their own destiny, um, they're probably having the same conversations that all the conference offices are right now, and that uh, all the various institutions are as well. Bob Thompson, hey, I appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you for joining us. No problem, John. Good stuff there, Fox.
Sports Network's president, former president, talking about the uh, possibility uh, and how media and television factor into this. I hadn't considered that the grant of rights in the ACC uh, extended to 2036. I hadn't considered why the loose partnership would be necessary. Um, it would definitely be necessary to keep the conference members, such as Miami uh, and Clemson in particular, that would probably love to jump out of the conference, uh, keeps them locked into the ACC. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. Uh, Blazers not for sale? Why are they keep telling us that? I'll address it coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to know where your head is when it comes to two different things. Where are you on the Pac-12 conference needing to exist beyond the next couple of weeks? For me, it's important. I'd like to see the Pac-12 stick together, the Pac-10 or what's left of it stick together. It's a lot of what I've written about, talked about, and hoped for. Second topic uh, and you can weigh in there at 503-417-7575. Do you care if they go to the ACC, the Big 12? Do you care if they exist? Do you want what's best for Oregon or Oregon State? Not necessarily the rest of the conference. You tell me. If you're listening in Salt Lake City, what do you care about? How about you in Colorado? How about the Bay Area? You tell me, Seattle. What do you care about? 503-417-7575 number. Second topic, the Blazers. Uh they issued a statement earlier today, second time they have released a statement on this front, but it was weird because nobody was talking about the Blazers being for sale today. Everybody's talking about the Pac-12, so much so that my eight-year-old, I was uh, driving around with her, and she said to me, hey, Dad, uh, what is uh, going on with the Pac-12? Is uh, Oregon going to stay in the Pac-12? She's eight. She's into it. She's eavesdropping. She's picking it up. She's talking about it. My dad told me, he said, I overheard somebody, he says it wasn't even a sports fan, and they were talking about, you know, the, the Pac-12 conference and USC and UCLA, and I said, this is a big deal. But yet the Blazers come out with nobody asking about them being for sale in the last 24 to 48 hours, as far as I know. Blazers come out, and they have their – Director of Corporate Communications, their Corporate Communications Manager, and their Chief Communications and Impact Officer issue a press release, statement from Jody Allen, in which she basically says that her focus is to build championship teams like her brother. She trusts and expects our leaders and coaches to build winning teams that deliver results on and off the field blah, 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 and she says, as we've stated before, neither of the teams is for sale, and there are no sales discussions happening. A time will come when that changes, given Paul's plan to dedicate the vast majority of his wealth to philanthropy, but estates of this size and complexity can take 10 to 20 years to wind down. There's no preordained timeline by which the teams must be sold, she says, 
Until then, my focus and that of our teams is on winning. That's from Jody Allen. I think it's really interesting that she would issue that statement. I definitely think the team's for sale. I don't, I'm not buying that, especially the Blazers. I think they will be sold. I, I said a couple months ago I thought it was 12 to 18 months to, to the point where we would get a sale, and I think that I stand by that. Um, I don't think that Phil Knight and Alan Smolinski are making an offer for the Blazers just because. I think they know. I think we all know. I think it's a worst-kept secret, and I think they know they're trying to remove any kind of leverage that would be on the other side of this sale, and I think they're trying to uh, move this thing uh, in a direction where uh, the uh, they hold more of the leverage. But I want to know what you think about that. Blazers not for sale, say the Blazers. 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Do you care about the Pac-12? What do you think is going to happen? Is a quote-unquote loose partnership with the ACC a win for the Pac-12? Is it a fallback? Is it a Band-Aid? What is it? Let's go to the phone lines. Roy's in Portland. Roy, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, man. I just, hey, man, you've been, you've been doing some excellent reporting on this, man. I, I love JohnKenzano.com, man. That's, Thank you. Uh, it's been great, great articles. But Thanks, man. John, I got to tell you, man, I got a friend, man, that I've known for 20 years that, that's in an athletic, depart- in an athletic department in a big, one of the Big Ten schools. He's not, he's, high, he's not an athletic director, but he's pretty close. And I was told by him over the weekend that Oregon and Washington is not coming into the – they're not being invited. I agree. Into I agree. Yeah. He said it's just like you – know, and, and it was along the lines of what you were reporting with Bob. He's like Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Indiana, Purdue don't have any loyalty – or owe anything to Washington and Oregon to take less money. You know what I mean? It's not like they need Washington and Oregon, and they're not going to take $6 million to $10 million less to put them in when they don't need them. You know, those they don't owe anything to them. And if there was like a situation like a Maryland or a Rutgers where they really wanted that media market, then maybe it would be some, well, you could take less. But they don't really need them to – the watch the Seattle, Portland, Oregon media market. So there, I, I was told it's like Notre Dame, and it was not. It's like it's not a loose invitation. It, it's a loose invitation for Notre Dame, saying that it's not. It doesn't have to be like three weeks from now, or four weeks from now. It could be two years from now. And if Notre Dame said they want to join the Big Ten, then they'll let them in. You know, so it's not something like well, we're waiting for Notre Dame, and then once Notre Dame says yeah or nay, then we're going to get Oregon. No, it's not like. That. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I I don't know about the Pac-12. I feel sorry for the Pac-12. Uh, it's a great conference. I love tradition. I mean, it, it just seems like it, it. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like a couple months ago the Pac-12. It was articles about the Pac-12 not being happy with the payout that they were yeah. with the 19 million. Yeah. So I, I mean, did didn't we kind of see this coming? And 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 another thing is, I wonder. I mean, I, I like Phil Knight, but I, I asked myself reading your article, and I talked to my friends from Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State. Where would Oregon State and Washington State be if Phil Knight graduated from those schools? Oh, yeah. Where would Oregon State be if Phil Knight – I mean, because Oregon's getting a lot of rides because a Phil Knight is, a, is, an alum, is an alum, and 
they're getting all types of, you know, Nike benefits and and everything. But, you know, where would Oregon be if Phil Knight wasn't wasn't donating hundreds of millions of dollars? They'd be in the same boat as Oregon State and Washington State. So I don't understand why some Oregon fans look down on on Oregon State. You would be in the same boat if it wasn't if it wasn't for Phil Knight. Yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that. You're right about the numbers. The number that I'm told, I appreciate the call, Roy, and appreciate that you read at johnconzano.com. The number that I was given as it pertains to uh, what makes sense for the the, uh, Big Ten Conference to take a member, it's about $71 million. That's what you have to justify in media revenue. Otherwise the existing members are going to have to subsidize you uh, with part of their payout from Fox. With UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten Conference, the math works. See, they were able to go to Fox and go, hey, we're adding the Los Angeles market. You're going to get Palm Springs and Santa Barbara and L.A. and San Diego. Everybody, that you're getting that whole swath of televisions. It's the number two market in the country. And the Big Ten Conference and Fox were able to go, oh, yeah, that's going to add more than $70 million times two in media revenue. So the Big Ten Conference, they don't have to subsidize UCLA and USC. They are glad to have them. And, in fact, their media deal is worth a little more because they're part of it. So it makes sense to cut them in. Now, Roy gets it right. Like it's six to eight to ten million dollars that you'd have to take away from every Big Ten university if you took Oregon and Washington, because as Bob Thompson has told me, the former president of Fox, he estimates that the Seattle market plus the Portland Eugene market are only about a total of sixty million dollars in media rights value. It leaves the Big Ten members having to subsidize, you know, another, what is that, uh, you know, $83 million a year because you got to get to $71 million times two if you're taking two universities and you're only getting $60 million back. So it's about $83 million difference. And it means that everybody's going to go, hey, are you going to be okay in perpetuity of this contract? Are you going to be okay taking $6 million a year less, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State? And their answer is going to be no. It doesn't make sense to take Oregon or Washington. Now, if Oregon or Washington took less money, or if they did what Maryland did when they joined and said, look, just don't pay us as a full member for three years, um, then then it makes it makes more sense. But right now, I think the Oregon and Washington to Big Ten conference conversation is stalled. And I think the conversation now is either the Pac-12 and ACC forming this third conference, loose partnership or whatever you want to call it, or the Big, you know, the Big Ten conference and the SEC. Uh, the, only, the only other way you could go at them if you are the Pac-12 is if you attracted um, maybe two to four other teams that add value to your media deal and the number for the pac-12 conference is not 70 million to justify it's more like 30 million that's why boise state 
Fresno State, San Diego State don't make any sense for you. Boise State brings six to eight million dollars in media rights revenue. There are only 500,000 television homes in all of Idaho. So it just doesn't pencil out. As much as like I look at Boise State and I go, gosh, it would be great to throw that dog a bone and let them into a major conference. They're just not sitting in a media hotbed. And so, you know, what do they bring really? Let's go to Mark in Portland. Mark, what's on your mind? Oh, I, you know, college football, it's really becoming uh, – it's its so hard for the fans to follow. And, I mean, it's all these where you can jump in the portal where you can, you know, take the two of the participants in your league and take them to another league. I, wouldn't it be nice if the Pittsburgh Steelers could get out of the Baltimore Ravens and Cincinnati's division and jump into the Chargers and the Raiders division? I mean, the, this to me – I don't follow it like you, but it seems like there's so many people behind the scenes and there's so much corruption. It's When Roy calls, it sounds like he's talking about his Harlem Globetrotter League and all the rest of us are the Washington Generals. The SEC has complete control right now, and this is the Big Ten trying to make a play to try to you know, equate the power that they have um, with this monopoly. So I only watch the Ducks. I don't have any interest in watching college football, but I'm watching every NFL game, John, because they're they're evenly matched. Uh, you, you you had a Cinderella story with Cincinnati last year. You're never going to have that. You're never going to have an Oregon State, a Washington State, a Boise State team that's that's going to be able to compete with the power. It's all about money now, and I mean it's it's completely in my opinion, corrupting and going to corrupt the college sports. Yeah, and think about what the playoff would look like, you know, with these super conferences. Let's say they do go to a 12-team playoff. I mean, it's going to be impossible for the little guy to win one. Like, you're not going to get Boise State against Oklahoma, Statue of Liberty. You're not going to get Utah playing in a sugar bowl. Uh, you know, we've lost a lot of that. Some of the some of the things that make sports great, are, I think, are dead right now. Yeah, uh, the SEC, the, the, if you listen to what the commissioner of the SEC says, he does not want automatic bids because he wants, if there's an 18 playoff, he wants to get five SEC teams in the playoffs so they yeah. can continue to dominate. And it's it's just not, it's like the NBA to me. I mean, I used to love watching, uh, you know, basketball back in the 80s, 90s, even 2000s. But it's so, it's all these guys are deciding, it's like semi-pro football. All the, the best players are deciding which teams to play on to, you know, the Blazers can't compete with that. They're the Washington Generals. They, we want to get them back to getting in the playoffs. But realistically, can, can they really compete for an NBA title? I mean, it just seems so difficult. So there's some similarities to me now because you've involved money. Amen to that. Appreciate you, Mark, in Portland. Our big splash is coming up. Bill Moose, he has worked as a athletic director in a number of conferences Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, he'll be with us coming up at 4 o'clock. I want you here for it. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Make sure you're reading me at johnconzano.com as stuff breaks, as thoughts cross my mind. Uh, I am waking up every day happy, joyful, excited to share with you what I know. That's where you can read me. 
had a weird experience over the weekend. I don't know if weird's the right word. Surreal is probably the right word. Uh, I don't know if you have kids, but uh, I got a chance to uh, see my kid at work. That's right, her job. Uh, my college freshman, who is home for the summer, got a job uh, waiting tables at a restaurant. And we all went in and sat in her section. We told her we were coming in. She was excited to see us come into the restaurant. But the cool thing about seeing her in the restaurant was just seeing her in the restaurant. Watching her kind of walk around the room, bus tables, take orders, hand out menus. She served our table. She did a fine job serving our table and kind of watch her do her thing. Um, it was really kind of cool to see that. And uh, I wrote a little bit about it over the weekend uh, on the website, but uh, as part of the uh, the mailbag, I guess it was yesterday. It wasn't really the weekend. It was the holiday Monday. Uh, but it was really interesting, the feedback I got. I had a lot of people, if you subscribe there, you get the column automatically sent to you every, like in real time. Like the minute I post it, it shows up in your email inbox. And I had people who literally replied to that email, I get them. So we're in a conversation, right? And so... Uh, my, uh, I had a bunch of people who said, hey, you reminded me, and they told me their story of going in to see their kid working at their job. There's just something about, you know, I've seen my kid work around the house. I've seen her do volunteer work. I had not seen her work for someone else in, like, an adult setting where she's, like, in charge of something. I don't know. Does that sound weird? But it was just surreal to kind of see her in that experience and see her do that. And, uh, you know, I felt uh, I was happy when I left because I was like, you know what? She seems like she's uh, getting it, like she knows what she's doing. So if you're a parent and you have little kids, one day you will have that experience. If you've already had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. All right, Bill Moose is coming up top of the hour. He is the uh, former athletic director at Nebraska, at Washington State, and at Oregon. I'm going to ask him. He made the leap with Nebraska. What is USC and UCLA going to encounter in the Big Ten? How does it strike him, the loss of tradition and the Rose Bowl and all of that? Bill Moose, coming up after this quick break. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I thought Bill Moose did a hell of a job when he was the athletic director at Oregon. Then he went to Washington State, and you know what? He, he kind of leveled the playing field there with Mike Leach as the coach. Stadium got some upgrades, facilities got some upgrades, and then he bounced to Nebraska. So he's been around. He's seen some stuff. He was a player in the Pac-8 conference. He was an administrator at Oregon in the Pac-10. He saw it expand to the Pac-12. What does Bill Moose think now about what's become of the Pac-12 conference? He's joining us now. Bill Moose, thank you for making time. My pleasure, John. Your reaction when you saw UCLA-USC bolt last week, how did that strike you? Well, it, it of course, was a surprise. Um, my youngest son, who was actually a player at Cal, uh, sent me a text, and uh, I was doing some other things, and I, I thought to myself, what, what is going on in this crazy world? But 
you know, in these days of NIL and uh, transfer portals and everybody hopping one place to go to another after the dust settled, it really didn't surprise me that much. Yeah, we look at the way that television has trumped geography and tradition. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm convinced it's not going to be good ultimately for college sports. But w- at what point did you see sort of the influence of television taking over? Because you were working in the business. Well, during my time at Oregon, uh, it, it really evolved uh, quite quite a bit. We uh, started to. Uh, and I was on the, the uh, television committee twice, uh, and the dollars started to really mount. Uh, the, the, the second one, when I was at Washington State, after we had brought uh, Utah and Colorado into the conference, at the time, John, if you remember, that was the largest television deal in, in college sports history. Um, and you could really get a feel for the value, and that, it was during that time that that uh, I worked on and, and many others uh, to get equal distribution within the Pac-12, and that made a big difference. Uh, parity really started to come along, uh, uh, and and we needed that that LA market. There's no question, but uh, we needed a strong conference too, and that's what I really feel we got, uh, you know, in those ensuing years. And uh, and now that market is is no longer in the footprint. Bill Moose with us, uh, former Oregon, Washington State, and Nebraska athletic director. You saw it at Nebraska. Now USC and UCLA are going to see it. What does competition in the Big Ten look like? <laughs> well, it is tough. And, uh, you know, we're, we're zeroing in, I, I believe, John, right now anyway, on the football piece. And uh, the, there are no days off in the in the Big Ten. Um it's a, still a black and blue conference, but it has star power, um, wonderful universities, uh, a, a, a lot alike in many ways and some not. Uh, when I was at Nebraska, um, uh, we were the furthest west campus. Can't say that anymore. Uh, but uh, to, to travel to Rutgers and Maryland and, and even those in between, were long jaunts, and uh, we were sending all our teams out that way, and they were sending theirs our way. And uh, it is now, uh, well, actually doubled. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I will tell you, uh, there, there's there's great market value. Uh, USC and UCLA have strong brands, but they're going into a conference that has strong brands and lots of them. And uh, when you take a, a football team into Ann Arbor or Columbus, you're going to go into Madison, Wisconsin, going out to uh, to Penn State. Uh, those are big stadiums, big traditions, lots of championships. Uh, it'll it, it'll, be, it'll be great competition, but uh, it's hard for me to uh, see that there's going to be a lot of 10-win seasons are probably going to be more like uh, 7 and 8 is is pretty good. Bill Moose with us. Uh, Let me ask you, you know, Oregon, you know the brand. You were there. You know what Oregon brings. You know, I'm torn a little bit on, you know, 
advocating for what is right for Oregon or Washington, and then I think about Oregon State and Washington State, I kind of want to see them all stick together. There's a loss of nostalgia here, the Rose Bowl thrown into the mix too, Bill. When I look at it, you know, it, it doesn't feel like that matters to the rest of the country. And and that hurts. Uh, I'm a somewhat of a traditionalist. I grew up uh, wishing to one day play or be involved in some way with the Rose Bowl. It was always synonymous with the Big Ten and and the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, but uh, it, it seems to me, John, that this is all posturing for an expansion of the college football playoff. And uh, not unlike the NFL, for example, you're wanting to get into that postseason and then have a chance to get the big prize. And uh, I think this will probably, uh, what I'm talking about, be what's up next. And, and uh, with the, with the uh, revised Big Ten, you know, they could have, uh, depending on how, how large the CFP becomes, could have two, three, maybe, maybe even four schools in it. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that piece plays out. Um, Oregon, uh, it's a strong brand, and, I, and I'm proud of what we did there and, and what Rob has done since and, and uh, the, the great leadership they have. And, uh, you know, I've always said it's one thing to get there and another thing to stay there, and uh, Oregon has sustained it, and it's got a lot of pizzazz and sizzle and uh, uh, the style of play through the years, um, you know, since, since I was there in 95 and on into – Today is something that people like to tune into. The problem is there aren't there there isn't that big an audience within the state. And uh, uh, Washington's a little different story. They they've got a a, a great tradition and and uh, and they've got viewers. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But um, uh, Washington State and Oregon State. Uh, I, I think a lot of both of those schools are very similar and what they really have to offer that, that to, a, to a student, and I always felt a student athlete, was the college town, that college experience where you have to pack up and go to State U, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, again, uh, that is not appealing when you're talking about big dollars in television markets. I keep thinking about what the survival move is for the Pac-12. If you were a consultant right now, and you know, Pac-12 likes to pay them, as we know, uh, can, if you were consulting with the Pac-12, Bill, um, you know, where, what would you tell them? Well, I, I, uh, I've already been somewhat outspoken here on this. I, I think you gotta, you got to turn east and, and have serious conversations with the Big 12. Um, the irony here is uh, a year or so ago, uh, they, they were desperate. They were losing Oklahoma and Texas and, and needed to uh, uh, look for some ways for them to get back on track, and they did a very good job of that. Uh, but uh, I think the, uh, the, the regional piece of it and, and, and the locations of the universities and and, uh, and a lot of them uh, are, are like institutions, make sense. Um, what, what would be um, unfortunate for probably uh, Washington State or Oregon State is 
if a cherry picking uh, piece came in there where, hey, we want you, we want you, but uh, sorry, you, you, you're not coming to the party. And, uh, and then that would bring devastation to those, those schools. So I, I really think that, that if I was a consultant with the Pac-12, I would say it's all or nothing. Uh, if we're going to look at, at uh, joining or merging with another conference, we all go. But unfortunately, everybody's looking out for themselves, and, uh, and, and I think that would be a real injustice. Bill Moose with us, uh, former Washington State, Oregon, and Nebraska athletic director. Uh, Bill, how did the Pac-12 end up here? Like, it, is, did they just lose sight of things? Did they get bad leadership? How did they end up here? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, a, a number of things, John. Um, USC and UCLA always felt that they were, uh, they were the drawing card for, for television money. And, and, again, because it's a huge market. Uh, I always fought, and as did others of my colleagues, for parity to make the conference strong. And, and we achieved that. I really think now as, as time went on, we, we went into uh, the COVID years. And even before that, um, the, the conference was getting a bad rap and uh, uh, you were seeing where, where uh, there were four uh, schools that, that would play in the postseason in the, in the college football playoff. And, and uh, for several years, the PAC 12 was not one of them. They're champions. And uh, pretty soon stadiums were uh, about half full. Uh, viewers were not uh, really watching. Of course, there's always that, that uh, time zone challenge, but uh, it's a good brand of football. And, uh, and then uh, there was some dissension. There, there were, uh, um, you know, a change in the commissioner. Uh, it, just, it, it just wasn't running on all cylinders. And uh, uh, USC and UCLA, knowing what their market is and always trying to hold that above the rest of our heads, I have now taken that prime market out of uh, the footprint of the Pac-12, and that's going to hurt when trying to negotiate this upcoming deal with the television partners. I had one athletic director in the Pac-12 say that this is on Carol Folt, the the, uh, president of USC, do you blame her, or is that too harsh? Does she need to do what's best for her university? Well, you you have to do what's best for you, your university, and it's amazing how uh, that was all working when, when we were uh, all even, the playing field was level. Uh, what I don't like, John, is the sneaky aspect of this, the, the deceiving piece. What are we teaching our student athletes, yeah. uh, you know, to, to do things on the sly and, and all of that? Uh, and Oklahoma and Texas did the same thing to Bob Bowlesby and those great institutions in the Big 12. Uh, I don't, I, I, I just think that part, I, it, it, was there ever any conversations, and I don't believe there was, with those two schools, uh, meaning USC and UCLA, that they were contemplating this? Uh, no, everybody just woke up one day and it was done. Um, so, uh, kind of, kind of a, uh, 
Well, it, it, it's the kind of things that, that uh, you don't teach your kids, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it disappoints me as well. And, uh, you know, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, he was he was on day number 365 of his first year. Uh, you know, he's ready to close the books on the on year one and go, pretty good year. And it turns out, no, it's a disastrous year. We're talking to Bill Moose, uh, who is a former athletic director. Uh, you know, you got into – the, the world of athletics, and we watched you, you know, sort of uh, in, in your career move up the ladder and then across at multiple universities, but you started in the conference when it was the Pac-8. What was that like back in the days? <laughs> well, I was a, a student, I was a football player at Washington State, uh, 69 through 72, uh, and it, it was a thrill um, uh, and, and fabulous memories. Uh, but it was by no means a level playing field. You, we basically had the two L.A. schools, USC, UCLA, and then Washington, uh, who were the powerhouses, and the rest of us just, you know, tried to get an upset here or there. <laughs> the, rival, the rivalries were strong, and, uh, and, and I loved the rivalries, the, the Apple Cup, the old Civil War, uh, the big game, uh, of course, SC and UCLA, and then the Territorial Cup. My son played at Arizona State, and, and uh, that's a tremendous rivalry. And who knows where all those are going to go now. Uh, when we were talking, when we expanded and, and, uh, to the, to the uh, Pac-12 and we were going to divide into divisions, I was adamant that the Northwest schools stay together. Those rivalries go back over 100 years, and the fans can get to those campuses and all of that. Uh, but the color and pageantry of college football, uh, growing up and playing in the in the Pac-8, uh, it, it was wonderful and and, uh, and again great memories. Uh, when the conference expanded uh, and brought the Arizona schools in, I I, I was uh, I, I was not a big believer in that. Um, I was a traditionalist again, and I never really bought into it until my son went to Arizona State, and I was all all Sun Devils and. Uh, Dave Hickey, who was my chief of staff at Oregon, is the athletic director at Arizona, and I pulled for him, too. And uh, then I really felt it made sense at the time with Colorado and Utah and um, what it could bring to us in regards to uh, uh, being able to negotiate a, a solid television package, which, again, uh, I reiterate, ended up being divided uh, equally, which at Washington State, we went from uh, television uh, revenue the, the previous year of just shy of $4 million to an average of $22.5 million. Well, we were able to, to uh, build the, the stadium, uh, actually expanded in our football operations building and a, a new soccer stadium and, and baseball clubhouse. Those things couldn't have been done uh, without that. So... Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it all. I played in it. I got to serve two wonderful universities. Um, great experience. But when when the rivalries uh, are 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 challenged, when the Rose Bowl is uh, is in question, all those things that uh, I think at the end of the day are maybe more important than money to the university, and certainly. Uh, name, image, and likeness, which I've never been a fan of anyway. And uh, it just has a different look than uh, what I signed up for, and maybe that's why I'm sitting on my back porch today. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an idea. What do you think happens 
to the Rose Bowl in this equation? I started to worry, John, about the Rose Bowl uh, in, in, in the old uh, setup of the, of the BCS. Uh, when when it took its turn before it became the, the plus plus one uh, model, and in fact, uh, us, us Oregon Ducks uh, got the short end of a shaft there uh, in that 2001 season. Yep. Uh, when we ended up second in the nation, but uh, of all places, Nebraska went to the Rose Bowl and never even won the Big 12 championship. Um, and I started to worry about it a little bit then, and then as things moved into the uh, uh, college football playoff, I went down and watched Oregon and, and was rooting for them play Florida State. It didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mike Price took his Cougars down there and played Oklahoma. Uh, you know, great opponent, great teams, but didn't feel right. Uh, uh, and And... It, it, it has dwindled and dwindled even more. Uh, the Rose Bowl should be, and uh, in, in, in I fought for this even when I was at Nebraska. I was on a committee and was outspoken. Uh, we have to have a representative in the Rose Bowl. That was my uh, my point, uh, and, and so should the Pac-12. Whether it's a champion or not, that's who should be in there, however this thing pans out. But, you know, when, when I was – I served on the Rose Bowl Management Committee twice during my days in the conference, and uh, there were three of us, uh, and, and written in the bylaws that uh, two, two of those were the AD at USC and UCLA, those ADs, mm. and one at large. So that kind of told you who ran the show, <laughs> and, now, uh, and now they're gone. So who knows if uh, – it, it'll have a whole different look, and that's too bad because that is the granddaddy, great tradition. Uh, it's it's not it's not just the game, of course. It's the parade and and the tournament of roses, and it, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. But I I'm not going to be a fan, I'm sure. Bill Moose, uh, I really appreciate you giving us your time and expertise. Thank you, and enjoy the back porch, man. It sounds like a delight. It is today, and uh, always good to talk to you, John. I hope we can do it again. Let's do it. Bill Moose, thank you, sir. There he is, former athletic director at Oregon, Nebraska, Washington State, and uh, a former player in what was the Pac-8 conference back in the day. Anna's going to pop on the show. Also uh, coming up, we'll talk more about the Blazers. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Plus, the future of the Pac-12 Conference, what does it look like? And we'll take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. Uh, We've been talking a lot about the Pac-12 conference. And what I found in that last segment, Anna, is I interviewed Bill Moose, the uh, former athletic director at Oregon and Washington State and Nebraska, uh, was uh, there's some nostalgia that is mixed up in this. And now I don't expect that USC and UCLA were going to go, hey, we don't want the money because we're nostalgic. We like to hold on to the old days. I don't expect them to do that. 
But still, there's a loss here. There's a loss of tradition, nostalgia. The Rose Bowl is in doubt, in jeopardy. I think there was uh, one of the national media members quoted somebody saying, they just nuked the Rose Bowl when USC and UCLA left. Gets me thinking about the good old days. Yeah, I mean, I think that that nostalgia and any sadness that people are feeling about the loss of the Pac-12 as we've known it for quite some time, I think that's valid. I think it's worth recognizing that, hey, this is like, you know, <laughs> something that we've been accustomed to, something we look forward to, and with the Rose Bowl, like you're saying, there's a lot of things, don't you think, that you can look back and go, gosh, it's just not what it used to be. I mean, as something as simple as, like, the drive-in movie, you yeah. know, those are so yes. few and far between. Like, yes. I loved going to a drive-in when I was little with my family or with friends. That was a blast. Like, you'd go, ideally, in the back of somebody's, like, pickup truck, like, flatbed, open pickup truck, and you'd bring sleeping bags and blankets and pillows and just settle in and watch a movie. And now, I mean, those are few and far between. The only one I can really think of that's within a easy drive is the one in Newburgh, and that's still open, by the grace of God. <laughs> Years ago, the Heinz Company came out with something called the Easy Squirt. I don't know if you guys uh, remember this, Stephen, Sean, and I don't know if you guys remember this. They Ketchup was always red, but Heinz was thinking about new revenue, kids. They wanted to go after kids, and they wanted to make ketchup cool for kids. So Heinz came up with a brilliant idea to produce purple, green, and blue Easy Squirt Ketchup. And they put it in these bottles that had funny uh, colors on them and stuff. It looked Crayola-like. It was a bust. It was they. It lasted six years, and they halted it, and they went back to the original. Um, I can think of a number of things. Coca-Cola. Remember New Coke? And they changed the recipe? Yeah, that's right. Remember that? That was like for a second. Yeah, and they went, bad idea. <laughs> I kind of hope that like maybe some of this Pac-12 stuff is – is uh, spurring nostalgic thoughts from our listeners. I would love to hear from you. Uh, you tell me something that isn't like the good old days or a company that misfired and then went, ah, uh, changed our mind and went back on it. You tell me, 503-417-7575. Stephen and Sean, anything pop into your guys' minds when it comes to something that isn't like the good old days? Well, I remember uh, being a kid and like wanting my parents to rent me a video game, and it would be at like you know Blockbuster Video Rest in yes. Peace, obviously. But like I would have to pull out a phone book and look up the phone number of said video game place, like Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, stuff like that. So like Blockbuster came to mind right away for me. It was like that was my place to go, just you know look at all the movies, look at all the games, seeing which ones I want to play and watch. Four one one. How about that? Remember that? You didn't know the number. You yeah. called someone else and you said, "Hey, I like to know the number of my video store." Now nobody does that. If you dial four one one now, does it go anywhere? I mean, it'd be a good bit on the show, maybe. There you go. <laughs> Figure that out. How about you, Sean? Oh man, I just feel like I had the best uh, cartoon shows and TV shows with my generation. You know, your SpongeBob's and your Drake and Josh's, and I just feel like you know maybe. <laughs> Maybe uh, I'm just being naive and I'm just biased towards my generation of uh, of TV growing up, but I feel like the kids' shows these days aren't as good. Oh, man. 
I actually think, you know, it made me think immediately to the cartoons I watched, right? That I needed, and here was the thing. When I watched cartoons, there was a certain schedule the uh, of the cartoons yeah. that I could watch. It was like I knew what time Scooby-Doo was going to be on with Scooby and Shaggy and Velma crawling around looking for her glasses. And then and then we had uh, the Wonder Twins and you had like the super, you know, the the uh, Hall of Justice and the superheroes and the Wonder Twin powers activate. Form of a rhino. Shape of a ice crystal. Well, Saturday mornings were great for that. To those points, it's like I remember coming home from school and knowing exactly what I was going to watch. Like you knew yes. you had to, you couldn't just turn on Netflix and watch whatever you wanted to watch. You had to memorize what you wanted to watch after school and look forward to it all day. You know, I want to watch Saved by the Bell after school. I got to get home real quick. Yeah, and you had to sit there, and you had to be there, and you had to be present with your bag of potato chips, and you had to sit through the damn commercials with watching Hungry Hungry Hippo commercials. And waiting for uh, your cartoon to come back on. Yeah, you had to go to the restroom during the commercials. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> you know what I won't give up? I won't give up books. Hardcover, paperback, hold them in my hand, books. Like, as a kid, I would go to the library and I would take a cardboard box during the summer especially and would fill that cardboard box with books. And then I would take it home I would read, like, tear through it in, like, two weeks yeah. and then bring it back and unload it again. And I just, I've tried the whole, like, Kindle, read it on a device kind of thing. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I can't break myself. I want to be able to turn the pages and see the progress that I'm making in the book. There is something about a book, and there is something about holding a good newspaper in your hands. Yeah. On, like, a Sunday morning, you got a bagel. I don't know why I have a bagel and coffee when I'm in this fantasy, <laughs> but I'm reading, like, a full-size newspaper, not a crappy little tabloid, full-size newspaper that is robust, like the good old days of, like, you had to make an appointment with your newspaper I want to hear from you. Go nostalgic on me. What isn't like it used to be? 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good old days. Anna, what do you have to say about the good old days? Oh, man. I mean, there's just so much with childhood and even, like, into the teens years that I, I – when I think about the good old days, I think about just growing up in northeast Portland and the things that, you know, my friends and I used to do just for fun, like <laughs> – Frankly, just go to the river and hang out and, you know, with really nothing to do and no set schedule. Those the are the good old days? Going to the river? Were uh -huh. you in a van when you were down by the river? Or uh, what was happening there? Well, I didn't have my own car, so I probably hopped in somebody else's car and uh, went and hung out. We were talking once about pizza parlors on this show. We were talking about how Little League teams go to pizza parlors and then afterwards, after they go to the pizza parlor, uh, they, you know, the kids sometimes get to play a video game if uh, they have played well in their game. So 
uh, I remember us having that conversation on the show. I got more feedback about the damn pizza parlor than I did about any sports topic we did that day. Let's go to Sean and Sandy, who wants to weigh in. Sean, go ahead. Hey, John. Uh, sports isn't what it used to be. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get specific here, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna be like old man, get off my lawn guy for a second here. And it's the analytics guys, you know. And I understand, you know, they're they're cheating the game for the outcome, and and in turn they're cheating the fans. You know, they got basketball, they're playing, you know, shooting three pointers because they get 50 percent more points. And in baseball, you know, they're hitting home runs. You know, it used to be, you know, I, on average, I used to always watch the box scores. On average, you got need about twice as many hits per runs. And now they're, they're getting less hits, but they're going for home runs. And in football, you know, they're not running the ball no more. They're just out there playing catch. And I understand that. You know, they're moving the ball down the field. They're scoring points. And, uh, but the game isn't what it used to be. And... You know, the way they're, they're driving the fans isn't what it used to be. They don't care about the fans. I'm seeing this. It's, it's, they don't care about the fans. All they care about is the wins and generating wins and their revenue. And uh, it's, gonna, it's, it's just uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back on my porch. I'm not on my lawn no more, and, and I'm going to let kids walk on it now. And I understand where it's going. <laughs> yeah, you were out but, on the lawn there for a little bit. But I understand why. I think there's a lot of people who are upset and frustrated that the games themselves have become so much about the revenue and the money. I do think that, you know, we, we always talk about, like, I used to read Aesop's Fables when I was a kid, and I would read, you know, you, you would hear the story uh, even about the tortoise and the hare and everything. There was always a lesson in the story. I think that um, this college athletic, this time of college athletics, I do think that there are going to be some mistakes that have been made by universities that are jumping conferences. And I think the television partners are even going to acknowledge, I think, five or ten years from now, if the dollars don't pencil out in these television deals, I think they're going to acknowledge that, that money was thrown around and mistakes were made in sort of the grouping of college athletics. But the the problem that I'm having with this whole thing is there used to be a difference between professional sports and college sports there were distinct differences like in college football one foot in bounds catch a pass it's a complete pass in college football two feet for the nfl and oh by the way these are amateurs that are playing in theory back in the day and then you wait for sunday and you see the pro game then all of a sudden you have Monday night football, Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Sunday uh, afternoon football. You have the college games being played on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And all of a sudden, yeah, name, image, likeness, transfer portal. Uh, I don't blame all those college coaches who threw in the towel. Chris Peterson among them. And, you know, Mike Krzyzewski stepping away this year. I think those guys have got to be looking at the college game and going, I don't even recognize you anymore. Uh, you know, and when we were talking about kind of things that, that you were nostalgic about as a kid. The Pac-10, and yeah, I'm, I'm saying 10, back in the day, I was nostalgic about the Pac-10 because it had an identity. It was on my, you know, on my part of the United States, on the Pacific coast of the United States, in the western part of the U.S. where we had football. Now the western part of the United States doesn't even factor when it comes to college athletics. 
I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Just tuning in, we've been talking a lot about the Pac-12 Conference. The Blazers not for sale, says Jody Allen. In what is the biggest negotiation that the Blazers have ever been involved in. A lot of good things going on in sports. Uh, I have uh, uh, been really pleased, I think, with watching... Uh, some of the Wimbledon matchups that have been going on. Uh, uh, I'm certainly not like a tennis expert, but uh, I love competition, and I think just like I love watching the Olympics when I see the majors in golf come around or I see Wimbledon come around, I pay attention to that. Uh, some of the other headlines in sports. Uh, I, did, did you see the synchronized swimming uh, drowning photos? Did you guys see any of this stuff? I don't know. I have this weird thing with water, so uh, I'm always tuned into it. Is this the uh, woman who was rescued by her coach? Yes. Yeah, that was really dramatic. She She fainted in the water, right? Yeah, fainted, but when you're in water and you faint, I think you're drowning. That's essentially, she was unconscious at the bottom of the pool. Anita Alvarez was unconscious at the bottom of the pool. She was finishing her routine at the World Aquatic Championships. Her knees were touching the tiles on the bottom of the pool. Her arms are limp. Her eyes are closed. You have these alarming photos, but her coach, Andrea Fuentes, noticed that the swimmer's feet were more pale than normal. That's what she knew something was wrong. Wow. She jumped in the pool, saved the athlete. Apparently it was the second time that she had nearly drowned in the pool. And and we come to find out, she's 25 years old, by the way, we come to find out that the swimmers are holding their breath for such extended periods of time that, um, you know, we all think they're superhuman in the pool, but apparently uh, this stuff happens in synchronized swimming. Like they literally push themselves to the point of, you know, nearly drowning while training and competing. Uh, Really... Really uh, disturbing images. I'm glad she's okay. I didn't even know this category of swimming existed because technically it's like similar to synchronized swimming, except she's not synchronizing with anybody. She's just solo artistic swimming. It's like dance swimming in the water. I didn't didn't know that was a thing. Can you imagine being in the coach's position, you know, having to jump into the pool to save her and then – you don't want to be wrong. Like, you don't want to be like, you know, hey, she really didn't need my help, but I just jumped into the middle of a routine. And, you know, so I think there's a certain, but the coach had to know, like, she's off routine right now. There's definitely something wrong with this. So I'm glad she's okay. But it, this is another example, like, of, you know, I never, I didn't know this was a thing. That, like, the elite synchronized swimmers go, yeah, you go to the point of nearly, uh, nearly uh, fainting in the pool uh, from lack of oxygen all the time in competition. <laughs> Jeez. I didn't know that was a thing. Let's go to Gary and Eugene, who's listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Gary, what's on your mind? 
Hey, John. Uh, love the topic. Uh, the thing that I miss, old man on his porch again, paper tickets. Mm. I like having a ticket and not having to wait to have my phone scanned. I don't even want to take my phone. I may not have a phone. Paper tickets. I always stress out, too, for a, like a movie or a ball game or a concert, and I've got the ticket on my phone. I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I, I will stress out with, like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm always working on my phone. My phone dies sometimes. It happened the other night. I was on the phone, just died. I was mid-conversation. I was like, oh, I guess that's it. I'm out of battery life. Uh, so I'm always, I'm always worried I'm going to get up there to the scanner and I'm not going to be ready with my ticket or I'm not going to be able to find it. So I will take a screenshot of the ticket and I keep it in my photos so that I can, I can pull it up at moment's notice. So I don't know if that makes me an old man, but I, I do, I think like from the air, from like the world of collectibles, you know, you've taken away a collectible. You've taken away, hey, I'll drop off the tickets and have a conversation with your friend because now what do we do? If you get, oh, I'll just transfer you the tickets. Nobody's talking to each other anymore. I miss that. Are we a little bit out on the lawn right now in this conversation? <laughs> I think that's okay. I mean, remember we just talked about recently, like, one of the torn ticket stubs from Michael Jordan's original debut as a Chicago Bull was worth some, you know, ungodly amount of money. So you're right. The world of collectibles is definitely being impacted by all these e-tickets that we're just passing around. And I get why the franchises, the teams want you to use the e-ticket. Um, it probably gets you in and out of the building quicker, but they're probably also getting paid. They're, you know, they're, get, they're in a partnership, and they force you to go to Ticketmaster or whoever the provider is to uh, bring your ticket in. And, you know, that's a customer who is meandering around their website while you're getting your tickets out. 503-417-7575 uh, is the phone number. Uh, there are some things that have been improved, though. We talk about the good old days. I mean, look at video games. I can lament all I want the fact that I'm not playing Pong on Atari and be like, hey, remember the good old days? I had uh, one game for each individual cartridge, and you know it was pixelated on my screen, and it was a blip that was being hit back and forth by two paddles. Uh, and you know I can lament, you know, playing Tecmo Bowl and having only four offensive plays to to use when I was, the, you know, these are things from my childhood. But I gotta admit, the video games of today are much superior. And I actually think the movies, the children's movies of today, are way better. Like Sing 2? Come on. <laughs> That's way better than, like, Bambi. You well, know? Don't you think, like, the kids' movies creators have figured out that they need to make the movie at least relatively entertaining for the grown-up in the room, too? Like, you find a lot of inside jokes or jokes that I'm sure eight and nine-year-olds may not get but are intended for the audience, you know, the, the audience that is actually bringing them to the theater. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't want to show our kids, like, Charlotte's Web. Like, I don't think it's going to hold up based on, you know, like, no. the movies that we see today. You know what I mean? All the Toy Story movies and, you know, Turning Red and... You know, Clifford the Big Red Dog even. Come on. The Minions? Well, I, I don't know. Soul? I hold up. To, the, to that point, like, my son won't even watch the original Toy Story or Space Jam. Too, <laughs> too slow. Yeah. Really? Does you can't get him really? to watch Space Jam? I couldn't. Like, he, he somehow, for some reason, he likes LeBron James. I don't know why, you know? <laughs> That's why. It's because of Space Jam. 
Oh, I'm man, telling I, you. I, I, yeah, feel like ahead, the, I feel like the old Pixar movies are classic. I like your Toy Story, Incredibles. <laughs> you guys, and, you uh, don't know what it is. I really old. like Soul and, uh, you know, I really like Luca and a lot of yeah. the, the new Pixar movies. But I feel like there's, there's some classics. Uh, my favorite one is Up. And I guess yeah. that's kind yeah. of okay. uh, yeah, it's kind of old. Listen, listen, so jackass. Retro, listen, this is this, your your idea of antique and my idea of antique are not the same. Okay, so I'm thinking about the original Bambi, where like the credits last like seven minutes. You'd lose the audience right now if you tried to put that on anywhere. Like I, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's a cute story, but it's not Sing Two. You're you're talking about like you know you're this is like when Anna when we were in Beijing for the Olympics in 2008 we went to a museum, and I remember going through the museum and going like, like our museums suck compared <laughs> to like China's museums, because in China they're like we invented steel here is steel <laughs> like in our museums we have like a vase you know or like you know some kind of fancy artifact that arrowhead oh this is like hundreds of years old and then you go to beijing and they're like this is thousands of years old and look you know it's like this is a conversation we're having with sean right now talking about the movies of yesteryear he said up like come the on the original pixar movie yes <laughs> that's even it's too charming. young for me well some, you of the, some of the movies i named was like 15 years ago yeah it's true. I got it. Fifteen. I'm. Classics. I'm not picking on you. I'm just pointing out that you're much younger than me. So you know. <laughs> me too. It, and it's funny, like, because you go into like antique stores in the United States. Yeah. And what really speaks to people is when they see something from their childhood. Like I had a, I had a lunch pail, when I was like in second or third grade. It had all 28 NFL teams on it. Wow. 28, nice round number. All the NFL teams had, like, the, you know, it had the original helmets. So you had, like, the Houston Oilers on that thing, you know. And uh, in and nowadays, like, if I go into an antique store, there's 32 teams now. You go into an antique store, I would see that 28 helmet, and I would, there was something that would move me to go, oh, I'm interested. I got to put my hands on that thing because I remember having it as a kid. But I think you go into some other countries that have actual history, <laughs> like, you know, like thousands of years of history, not just like our country, you know, and hundreds of years of history. You go into thousands of years of history. It's a wholly different experience. Well, it's kind of like you, we were celebrating, obviously, Fourth of July yesterday, and I hope everyone had a great celebration. But I was thinking about, like, the youth of the United States, relatively speaking, to other, you know, developed countries and nations of the world and how young we really are. And I was thinking about all the ways, like, you compare it to that of a toddler, basically. Like, when you compare it to long-lasting civilizations, we're really very much still in an in our infancy trying to figure out how to express ourselves we're sometimes defiant you know we sometimes uh make mistakes and 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 we hopefully learn from them like i just i think it's interesting like i think we should have more grace for ourselves as a country as we grow through these growing pains let's go to brad and eugene who wants to talk some nostalgia go ahead brad Hey there. Uh, fully agree on the sense of history. I got that same sense when I went to Egypt a few years ago. It's just a whole different scale. But that's not what I was calling. What I was calling about was uh, I miss the days pre-free agency when a player was 
the team, and you knew that was going to be the case for most of their career unless they got traded. And there was loyalty to your team. I'm so old school and like to follow a team, not a fantasy team or a fantasy league. And I don't know. I feel like saying, get off my lawn. I want my team back. Yeah. And uh, kudos to Dame because he's done that, but uh, it's a rarity in this day and age. Yeah, it, it, look, it, it, it reflects a shift in culture, doesn't it? Like, sports used to be about performance and competition. Now, it's about entertainment. The 5 at 5 coming up on the other side of this break. I want you to leave it here. Get the BFT statewide on the BFT radio network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Five o'clock hour is the happy hour. We're going to start it by giving you the five kind of really important things at five that are coming up. We will uh, also talk a little bit about the LIV Golf Tournament. Got some feedback from some people who were there and saw it in person. Want to put that thing to rest. Also, this hour, we'll talk about the construction going on at Research Stadium in Corvallis. Oregon State has to be a little bit nervous about the Pac-12 Conference developments of the last week but gosh Jonathan Smith the Oregon State football coach is crushing it in recruiting he has improved his team few big gets by Jonathan Smith he seems uh, less interested in joining the conversation uh, about the conference and more interested in just going hey I'm going to control the things I'm going to control credit to him that brings us to the five at five five big things that you need to know about the five at five. Nobody asked Jody Allen, the de facto owner of the Seahawks and the Trailblazers, if the Blazers are for sale this week. And yet, Jody Allen and the Blazers issued a statement today in which she said, quote, as we've stated before, neither of the teams is for sale and there are no sales discussions happening, end quote. Look, there are some things that aren't for sale in the world some things you can't buy on eBay. But we all know that the Blazers, in particular, as part of the Paul Allen Trust, have to be sold at some point. I think Jody Allen and the Blazers are just trying to increase their negotiating leverage. Maybe they're tired of being asked about it. But I thought it was really weird today that they came out and said they're not for sale. Okay, but I don't believe them. That's number one. Anna, you're number two. Go. Right up there with importance, Joey Jaws Chestnut acknowledging today that he's not feeling too great. This is after he ate up 63 hot dogs, cruising to his victory yet again in the Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest. This is his 15th win. Can you believe that? He also, there was some kind of protester who jumped up there, and he got the protester in a headlock. Yeah. Did you see that? Th- yeah. That, along with the fact that he was competing while wearing a cast because he had some kind of tendon injury, he's uh, overcome a lot. Did you know, 
Did you know Joey Chestnut came in studio once on this show? I vaguely remember you saying that. He came in studio. And by the way, once you've seen someone eat hot dogs like Joey Chestnut eats hot dogs, you never think of them, you know, quite the same way. But he had a bad handshake. Yeah. He We shook hands at the end of his interview. Uh-huh. And I thought, ooh, bad, like noticeably bad handshake. And I thought to myself, that's not a sport after he did that. But Joey Chestnut also, you know, like, he had, like, you wouldn't know that the hot dog eating guy, like, he he kind of travels with an entourage. Yeah. He's a thing. I mean, when you've won now 15 of these things. Yeah, I don't know about that. I guess she, I, I don't know what the protesters were protesting exactly. One of them was wearing a Darth Vader mask and holding a sign and bumped Joey out of position no. as he was eating hot dog number 18. But yeah, you're right. I guess Joey wrapped his arm around the neck of that protester and pulled that yeah. person to the ground. Joey took care of the hot dogs and then took care of business. By the way, he how many hot dogs did he eat? 63. He beat me by 61 hot dogs on 4th of July. <laughs> That's a blowout. Number three in our five kind of important things going on. Kind of a sad story out of the NFL. Demarius Thomas, wide receiver with the Denver Broncos, who passed away this last December, 15 days before he turned 34. It turns out he had CTE. CTE is linked to repeated blows to the head. The doctors at Boston University have been studying his brain. Uh, he was found dead in Roswell, Georgia in his home last December. They have not announced a cause of death. CTE itself does not cause death. You don't die from it. What it does is it changes your behavior and your personality. But his, uh, his mother said his mood would change. He would isolate himself. He told his mom, I don't know what's going on with my body. I don't feel like myself anymore. He developed depression and anxiety. He had panic attacks in the years before his death. He had stage 2 CTE. Stage 4 is the most severe state, and it is associated with dementia. He's one of more than 300 former NFL players who have been diagnosed with CTE. Demarius Thomas died at the age of 33. Anna, go, number four. So sad. Uh, Lamar Odom saying that he still feels the presence of his late friend and former teammate, Kobe Bryant, says that he feels Kobe and sees him coming to him in dreams, talking to him, telling him to hang in there and keep fighting. Uh, Odin played with, Odom played with Kobe from 2004 to 2011 and stayed good friends with him. He says his spirit is so strong and that he just doesn't feel like Kobe is far away. That's cool. A little quirky. I think I'll, uh, it is, but you know what? I'm not, I'm not taking anything away. If he says he misses Kobe, still feels close to him. All right. I would just get really quiet if Lamar Odom said that to me and we were one-on-one -on, -one <laughs> on a plane or something, and I was sitting next to him. Yeah, he just nod. And I would just kind of nod and then change the subject. Because I get what he's saying, but if you wrote out what he was saying, it would, sound, it would look weird on paper. Yeah. Finally. Fifth thing in the five at five. If you're reading me at johnconzano.com, you already know this. 
but it looks like the Pac-12 Conference is exploring a loose partnership with the uh, with the uh, ACC. That's right. That's the latest development on the Pac-12 front. A loose partnership with the ACC would give the Pac-12 and ACC a whole bunch of TV markets, including New York and Boston and Miami, as well as Phoenix and Seattle and uh, uh, the Bay Area. It would also create sort of an east-west sort of scheduling rivalry in men's basketball and football. And if you took the entire remainder of the Pac-12 conference, 10 teams now remaining, after the defection of USC and UCLA, you would then have the opportunity to uh, keep those teams intact. I'm told by a source that this loose partnership is where the Pac-12 is focused right now. Doesn't mean that's where they'll be focused tomorrow, as we have seen this thing shift numerous times. But what is evident is that the Big Ten Conference or the SEC not knocking on Oregon's door, not knocking on Washington's door, not knocking on Stanford or Cal's door right now. And uh, that is where we stand. That's the five kind of important five things going on. Um, it's interesting to me to kind of follow this. There is a lot of stuff that's being reported. There are a lot of people out there that are sort of pointing to the Big 12 conference and saying, well, why doesn't Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado just jump to the Big 12? I think the easy answer is the Big 12 is not better off right now than the Pac-12. Uh, I think the Pac-12's got some traction at least. It's got the Bay Area markets. It's got Seattle. It's got Phoenix. It has the brand of Oregon. Uh, it obviously took a massive hit in losing the L.A. schools. I mean, you know, it's a gut punch. But you're on the ropes and you're George Klyovkov. What is the answer here? The answer here is to punch back. The answer here is to go after uh, the pipe dream that is Notre Dame and go after a partnership or some kind of uh, arrangement with the ACC that would give you crossover games in basketball that would matter. North Carolina, Duke, Miami become part of this equation. And then, uh, you know, try to present yourself as the number three conference. Clearly, they would be the number three conference. The Big Ten and the SEC would be fighting over who's number one, but at least you have a seat at the table under that scenario. If you are the Pac-12 and you just take on the Big 12 or you take on a couple of few of the universities in the Big 12, let's just say you go after Houston and Baylor, Oklahoma State, maybe even go after BYU, you're no better off than you would partnering with the ACC because – with the ACC, you just get better TV markets. Uh, as our TV expert Bob Thompson in hour number one, former president of Fox Sports Networks, pointed out, uh, you get about twice the number of households that have televisions in the ACC versus the Big 12 footprint. Uh, I think it's dramatic. And, and, and they do count New York as a TV market because Syracuse is in there, but it's not like you're getting, like, the heart of New York. You're getting the Syracuse fans that are in New York. Uh, we will uh, continue to track all of this stuff. Um, Anna, this is how important it is. I was with the 8-year-old earlier today, and we were running an errand. Mm -hmm. And she says to me from the back seat, Dad, uh, what's going to happen with the Pac-12? She did not. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, is Oregon leaving 
the Pac-12. She said that? And I, Unsolicited. She's, hear, she's overhearing my conversations. So there's something going on there. Osmosis. Yeah. Let's talk to her about TV markets in the ACC. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> it was the 4th of July last night. We had kind of an eventful 4th of July last night. We were, um, we were not at home last night. Uh, we were, uh, you know, playing a road game for the 4th of July. And we didn't really do the fireworks thing, but... Where we were visiting, one of the neighbors there had a little fireworks display that they were putting on. And I always feel weird about kind of, is it called eavesdropping if you're watching it? It's not. Poaching? You're poaching their fireworks. Like, you know, they're just setting up the things in the street and they're shooting them off. You know, it's the normal stuff that you would buy at one of those fireworks tents. Our kids had some sparklers that were left over from last year that I grabbed and they were happy uh, to have those. But uh, the neighbor person who was setting off fireworks, I was uncomfortable going over there. And I even thought, we don't know these people. So I don't want to intrude on their family fireworks display. Plus, I don't know if they're going to start shooting off mortars or whatever. Like, we don't know, like, how wild these people are. So, Anna, you and the girls... We're like, let's go down there. And I was like, ah, let's just stay here. We were like four households away. And then eventually we went down there. And what happened? Well, first I wanted to introduce ourselves because, like I said, we didn't know these folks and I didn't, I felt a little bad. We weren't exactly prepared. And um, so I felt better that we'd introduced ourselves and said, hey, thanks for putting on a fireworks show for us. And then. They began to shoot up like fireworks, like bigger fireworks. Yeah, but it was still fairly safe stuff, and yes. I, I gave in. And first of all, let me ask you, Stephen and Sean, is it poor form if someone down the street is shooting off fireworks in the street for you to pull your lawn chairs down and kind of watch them do their thing? I mean, I think in your situation maybe a little bit because you didn't know the people not a, didn't know them at all <laughs> so i i, I kind of think it might be a little yeah. bit where like my neighbor you know we we had a little bit of fireworks and then they had a lot of fireworks but we know them we talked to them so i think it was okay for us to kind of stay around to do it but i think in your situation i don't want to be mean john but i think no, you're be might mean. Be, okay well i think you're in the wrong then I, yeah. I actually think it's completely fine i think you know fireworks are kind of a uh they can be a neighborhood unifier, and I think that's the perfect time to maybe go get to know your neighbors. And uh, I think, you know, it's fair game if they're doing it in their public neighborhood where, you you know, the neighbor just goes and watches. It's good entertainment. I, I would think that if we were shooting off the fireworks, Anna, and a neighbor pulled up their lawn chairs, it would, it would kind of be awkward. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't, like, scold them. Yeah. But it would be awkward. But... In this case, I was comfortable just being down the street watching from a distance, but I could tell you really wanted to go down there and the girls wanted to go down there, and so I gave in. What's the moral of the and story? We dragged the chairs <laughs> down the street, guys, and we set up across the street from this family that was shooting off the fireworks. And we went over and introduced ourselves, not to be weird. Hey, we're just in town. This is the, you know, and it was fine. Except then he started setting off the fireworks, and lo and behold, he was sh shooting these things off that were going up in the air maybe 50 or 70 feet. It wasn't like giant ones that you see at like a community celebration. But apparently when he was lighting one, it tipped over. 
and it shot a firework at our six-year-old, and it grazed her on the forehead. It just hit off her forehead. It was green. All I saw was a big flash of green, <laughs> and it. But it hit her in the head. She she picked up her lawn chair. And she started walking back down the street, back towards where our car was. <laughs> she said, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. She was fine. It was like the very first firework that yeah. we were watching after having moved just a little bit closer for a better view. And all I said as I picked up my chair was, that's why you don't. <laughs> The hijacks someone else's firework That's thing. That's not all you said. There was a lot Ridiculous. of told, lot of told you so's. Told this you. Is, this is why Dad wanted us to be safe. We wanted a safe distance. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it was weird. It was one of these things. Like we all have had these things where we expect something to happen and it happens. While I was sitting there and he was lighting that thing, I literally thought to myself, "Can I jump in front of you guys if that thing tips over?" And lo and behold. Very first firework, it tips over. I couldn't even move. I didn't even get like a half a step out of my chair. It, 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 all I saw was green, like green flash in the air. And then the six-year-old going, it hit me. And I said, where did it hit you? She said, it hit me in the head. I said, are you okay? I didn't even realize it hit her because I, I saw it after when it was rolling around on the ground yeah. and it was still lit yeah and is. so we were like getting up and trying to evacuate the area quickly and i'm just glad it didn't she was really hit her in the face or the eye or no, it hit her in the head i know but it could have been worse okay so next time dad says this is not a good idea i want a little bit of cred on this one <laughs> it was a horrible idea we're lucky we ended up lucky it was lesson learned don't invade someone else's fireworks display. Or if you do, stay at a safe distance. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You've changed as a sports fan. We have uh, we have covered that ground, haven't we? Over the uh, last couple of years, there's been a shift in you. There's been a shift in me. How we watch games, right? Oh, you know where I'm going with this. Like sports used to be about performance and competition. I used to make an appointment. I used to watch a game start to finish. Now, how do we watch games? How do we watch golf events? How do we watch tennis matches? Uh, you may make an appointment if you are a diehard fan and you need to see your team play or if it's a big game, maybe you're tuned in. But a lot of the times in these casual peripheral games that I'm watching, whether it be NFL, Major League Baseball, whatnot, I am uh, often reminded that uh, you know the way that I watch a game is I find out, hey, this game's in the sixth inning and it's a good game or it's a tie game. And then I go, oh, I better turn it on. Or um, I'll watch maybe the beginning of it if it's an NFL game. And then I'll run to the grocery store or go to the gym, and I'll kind of casually follow it on Twitter or on my phone, and then I'll tune back in for the finish. Like the way I consume the product that is sports has changed over the years. Um, the audience, do, I got to ask you, 
Do you love sports? Do you love it the way you used to love it? Or is it more about wagering, fantasy sports? Is it more about the playoff and less about the regular season? Let's be real about how you've changed and how I've changed. As long as we're going to criticize the system for becoming all about money, when I kind of think we've been fueling the system. 503-417-7575. Stephen, Sean, I want to start with you guys. Like, you know, we have changed. I think I know I have changed the way I watch games. How do you guys feel about that statement? How much have you changed? I think you're right, and it depends on what sport, right? Like, if it's just a random regular season Major League Baseball game, like, I'm definitely not watching nine innings. And I don't have a team, so I don't. I'm not, you know, invested in it emotionally. But you know, I watch the Blazers, you know, pretty much every quarter because we cover the team. Uh, you know, the NFL. I'm watching the Reds. I'm watching Red Zone Channel rather than just individual games. Yeah. Co- college football with like you talked about wagering. Like that's the those are the games I want to watch. The ones that I'm wagering on. So I've definitely changed a lot. Like because I don't have a you know a favorite team. So I'm definitely in and out of games, trying to just you know pull in information as much as I can while, you know, trying to make a little money off it at the same time. Sean? Yeah, I think every sport has changed uh, a lot over the last couple of decades. And I think, you know, some, uh, I think different fans are turned off by different things. Like me personally, I continue to love the NBA and I don't really mind the player empowerment and the player movement stuff, but uh, I have some friends, family members that are really turned off by that. And then like personally, you know, I'm not a huge fan of some of the stuff that's gone on with college athletics over, you know, this off season, last off season. But I know some people that will continue to love college athletics. And, you know, I think just one thing to think about here is, you know, when, um, when, when it's, in a couple of years here, it's USC and Iowa, and it's you know it's fourth quarter and it's crunch time. Are we going to be thinking about all the conference realignment? Or are we going to be really enjoying the game? And I think if you're a college football fan that's a little bit turned off by what's going on right now, just think about you know whether this affects the play on the field or not. And that's something that's been going through my head lately too. I, I just am left thinking you know uh, about the culture of America when it comes to sports and how I think. During the Olympics, maybe that's an outlier. During the Olympics, we often watch because we are watching a generational performance. We're watching somebody run faster, jump higher, throw farther, swim faster than anybody's ever done before. But when it comes to our sports teams, I think we're all aware of the fact that the NFL owners are dragging out the season, making it a little longer because they know they can capture more revenue. I think we're aware that the playoffs in the NBA and Major League Baseball over the years have been expanded to include more teams because that's more revenue, not because it's like in the spirit of competition. Uh, a lot of changes in officiating over the years have been done to make the games themselves more appealing, more offensive, more points scored, more home runs hit, more everybody's worried about offense because they think it's entertainment. Offense is entertainment. And we have turned as consumers into consumers of entertainment, maybe more than competition. And, and I, I think it's a little bit in the weeds, but I don't think it's being talked about enough when it comes to USC, UCLA, when it comes to the money that we see in professional sports. I think we're all kind of playing to this a little bit in that our allegiance has become 
to entertainment rather than to, uh, I think, competition. And we want to be entertained. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want you to weigh in on that. How have you changed as a sports consumer? Do you feel like your habits reflect kind of the shift in culture when it comes to sports culture? We have seen a definite shift. I mean, it's market shift in sports culture, how we watch games. I had a friend the other night said, hey, get yourself to the Braves-Phillies games. Uh, okay, what's going on? Mark Appel, he's in. He got in the ninth inning. You wrote about him. Oh, let me get to the Braves-Phillies game. I'm not watching that game start to finish. I don't have time to watch nine innings of that game. But I, some facet of that game becomes interesting to me, and I'm right there. I'm tuned in. But it's it's entertainment more than anything, isn't it? Yeah, I wanted to add this, and we talked about this earlier, you know, with the nostalgia thing and, like, Bambi, and you talked about the credits and how it's not entertaining but nobody's going to give it a chance nowadays, right? And that's kind of how sports is, like you just said. If something that's interesting that's happening, we're all going to tune in all at once, but we're not going to stick around to watch the boring part of the game before something interesting happens. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think, I think if, you are, if you are somebody that really is lamenting the loss, like money has invaded sports and television so much so that it's affected kickoff times, it's affected the conferences themselves, it's affected name image likeness. Like we have seen just cultural shifts in sports that are like slapping us in the face. And people are going, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. But at the same time, I kind of think we gotta we gotta address the idea that we are asking for sports to be about entertainment more than anything. I want your phone calls. I'm gonna take all of your phone calls coming up here. Uh, I got a line open at 503-417-7575. Your turn. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't want to be that guy. Sorry, I had the wrong headset. That's what happens. I don't want to be that guy who is out on my lawn lamenting the uh, the loss of innocence or the loss of uh, of of tradition or saying, you know, hey, we got to unwind this. Let's bring back the uh, designated hitter and and uh, you know, this the game isn't what it used to be. But the truth is. The culture of sport itself has shifted. It's changed. It's different. You and I are watching games differently. The uh, games, you know, it's still football. It's still college basketball. But but it's it's changed. I want to get real here. I want you to tell me, how has your viewing changed? And are you aware of maybe the idea that we're all playing a role in sports turning into an entertainment industry as we demand it to be more entertaining. Let's go to Dave, who's in Kaiser. Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, John. Here's my take on it. I'm 68 years old. Um, in my uh, youth, it was very rare to see an Oregon game on TV. Uh, it was very rare to go out for pizza. Um, very rare to see the Minnesota Twins and the Minnesota Vikings on the tube. 
And yes. now I can pretty much get it any time I want, and my interest has waned tremendously. Why is that? Because for me personally, John, it's just because I know it's there anytime I want it, basically. Yep. So anyway, and I, and I was so thrilled when I saw there was going to be a golf channel, and now I can hardly sit and watch a golf tournament. I'll do the majors. Interesting. I'll do the majors. I'll watch those uh, start to finish, but anything else, I'm just tuning in for the highlights. So anyway, that's what I got, John. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate that. Appreciate that, Dave and Kaiser. 503-417-7575 is the number. Here, you know, it's interesting because when I grew up, and I've talked about this, I only had, uh, my parents, we only had two channels. We got ABC. It came in crystal clear. We got uh, NBC. Came in crystal clear. CBS was a little bit of a snowstorm where my parents live. We didn't have cable. We couldn't get cable. It wasn't available. Uh, we could have got one of those satellite dishes that you see that were so big. Like, remember those families that got the original satellite dish that looked like they were trying to land a space shuttle in the neighborhood? Uh, we could have got one of those, but we didn't. But I've got to tell you, I didn't feel like I grew up, like, at a disadvantage. I had, you know, I had Three's Company. I had Happy Days. I had Laverne and Shirley. I had, uh, you know, some of the NFL games. But if we wanted to see the 49ers on CBS because they were an NFC team, we had to go to a pizza parlor. Or yours truly had to get on the roof. I got on the roof on those Sunday mornings. My mom would be the uh, relay. She was standing out on the deck. My dad was in the living room. He was watching the TV set. And they would tell me, okay, turn the antenna and I would slowly rotate said antenna until the picture got as clear as it was going to get. Still a little fuzzy, but it was okay. It was passable, and my dad would yell, stop, and my mom would go, stop, is the relay, and then I would stop, or maybe they'd go, all right, you have to go back. Go back a little bit, and I'd go back. But the truth is, if you would have told me at age 12 or 15 or whenever I was on the roof, I was up there for a few years, uh, if you would have told me that there would be a day where we could tune in and get every NFL game, we could get something called the Sunday ticket, and we could watch every NFL game, or I could get the MLB network, or I could watch every game on demand, you know, at le- replay viewings of the Rose Bowl from five years ago, whatever can always get a sporting event, right? You can tune in. Tonight Tonight I can watch Wimbledon if I want to. But the truth is, now that I know that, I don't consume it in the way that maybe I once thought I would. And I don't think it's because I'm spoiled. I think it's just that the buffet is open every night. It's all you can eat every night. Would you really still... Want to be bellied up at that buffet every night if you knew, hey, it's going to be there tomorrow anyway. What's the point? I don't know. I think the caller's on to something there because I can remember, oh, the golf network. Yeah, I remember when that. I remember when ESPN became, I remember when I got cable for the first time. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can get HBO. I was in, like, my early 20s. 
I can get HBO for the first time. And you know what's funny now? I have HBO. I barely watch it. I'll watch, like, you know, a few shows here and there. Barry. I like Barry. But the truth is I'm not camping out watching everything because there is so much to do and so much to consume, and there's a greater uh, demand for my time than ever, and there's more competition. There's competition from the television set. There's competition from the movie theater. There's competition from the sports venues. There's competition with my jobs and my family, the kids and all, Anna and the neighbors, and, oh, it's the 4th of July. There's competition everywhere. So I'm going to acknowledge that while I'm sitting here lamenting the loss of this great sports and the games and the, what happened to college athletics and all that, like, Part of it is like, come on, we've all changed, haven't we? We've all shifted our mindset some when it comes to what we watch and how we watch it. You know what? I will, uh, I'm as guilty as anybody like of tuning in in the fourth quarter in the final three minutes of a game if it's an interesting game. Find myself doing that. When that game ends, I go looking for another game. Because you don't have to watch it wire to wire anymore to feel like you're invested. The broadcast will catch you up. And, oh, by the way, if you miss today's game, you can always get tomorrow's game or you can watch it on replay. There's no urgency anymore. So I think it's important, like, you know, yes, I'm disappointed with USC and UCLA. I understand why they did. I understand the money aspect of it. I understand they wanted to be with the halves of college football. But there's part of me that remembers being on the roof turning the antenna, and then tuning in to see Keith Jackson call a USC-Michigan game with Charles White in the backfield as a kid. And I'm thinking, what happened to that? What happened to the great college sports landscape that I love so much? Hey, John, I got a question for you. Could it be, though, if you were transported back as that kid right now, would you be watching sports you know, hour by hour because it's on all the time? It, it No. I don't think I would because I think I would be it would be saturated. I don't see kids today watching that way either, but I can remember like you guys probably don't remember this, but I can remember when the All-Star game came on on a Tuesday night in like the early 1980s. I had to watch the Major League Baseball All-Star game because I had never seen Lou Whitaker or Alan Trammell on the field in uniform on a television. We had not seen, unless the team was in your market, you didn't get to see the other league's teams. And then interleg play came along, and all of a sudden, you know, now you can see them all the time. And, oh, by the way, you can get a game anytime you want. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. If you're a parent out there and you have a kid who's just a diehard, consuming everything sports fan, you tell me. But I don't know. I've got enough real estate, I think, in my lifetime where I remember being, like, sports crazy as a kid. But I also remember... I could only watch one NFL game. There was no Sunday night football, but I couldn't wait for Monday night. And then after Monday night, I couldn't wait for the next Sunday. I was hungry for sports because sports didn't feed me every day. I wonder how much television has played a role in that and how much we have changed. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Make sure you read me at johnconzano.com. I'll have a new piece tomorrow. This is uh, it, this thing's a moving target, and I I suspect the next 24 to 72 hours are going to be huge for the Pac-12 conference. There's so much going on. Somebody asked me today, do you think this this happens today? The Pac-12 now eyeing a, a loose partnership with the ACC. I don't think it's necessarily a today thing, but there is a definite urgency. Uh, as I communicated with one of the members of the Pac-12 CEO group today, there is a definite urgency in their circle to get something done. I will answer your questions in this segment about the Pac-12, what's going to happen. If you have questions from Salt Lake City to Boulder to Seattle to Pullman to Eugene or Corvallis, whatever your question may be, I will answer it. I'll tell you what I know. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, as I'm sharing information, I'm assuming that you guys are uh, as tuned in as I am to the stuff that's going on, and sometimes I'll miss things. So if there's a question that you have been dying to ask as it pertains to the current predicament the Pac-12 finds itself in, you can uh, fire me a question at 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Rob in Vancouver. Rob, what's on your mind? Hey, man, you, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I got you. Hey, thanks for having me. Listen, the main thing is I want to run some, I want to run some additional ideas uh, alongside the good information you're giving us. And I also want to, I also want to say to our PAC friends, let's just sit tight for a second. We really are the, the next best conference uh, from a university perspective. We have seven AAU schools left in this conference. Okay, and I think ultimately we've been looking at the math, and I think I know how this is going to go on 24 and 24 on the two bigs, the SEC and the Big Ten. Now, that leaves a third conference, and that third conference will be probably some remnant of the Big 12, I suppose. And I'll tell you what, looking at the big picture right now, if I'm Oregon State, Okay, I think Wazoo maybe has a little more time to wait. If you look at that third conference and you get into 24, I am telling you, I mean, I guess you get some market share with Oregon State, but you're, you're, you'll, be, you'll be fighting other people to get in there. <clears throat> so if anyone needs to make a move, it's Oregon State. They have no chance of getting into the Big 12, and in fact, you know, because of Oregon State and Washington State, let's be honest, Colorado and Utah have an easier path at this point. And I think this whole thing has been packaged as a big middle finger to Eugene, and that hurts because I'm a duck till I die. Um, but there's some things we got to look at, and I think we'll overcome. I mean, we've got the juice, but they're going to squeeze us for a little while. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to make us feel some things for a little while and make us think about what's going on here for a minute, but we'll, we'll overcome. Um, but these two conferences are going to break down in the regions, as you might expect, okay? And I'll throw in who's who's going where, okay? Kansas is going to end up in the Big Big 12 with the seven from, from the pack, okay? And that completes it to 24. Notre Dame yeah. is just a ruse. They're, this is just a thing they're saying right now to – you know, hey, Pack, quit calling us right now, okay, because Notre Dame is not an AAU school, okay? They would be the only one that isn't. Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska had Nebraska had the AAU status but lost it 
So there is precedent in the Big Ten for you not being an AAU school. But, look, uh, you know, like the caller there, there's a lot of people throwing out a lot of speculation. Here's what I know. I know that the Pac-12 uh, university presidents and chancellors, the remaining ten, have authorized George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, to uh, negotiate a an early uh, accelerated uh, negotiation when it comes to their media rights of this conference. Uh, that tells me that they've got a partner, at probably ESPN, but they have a partner who's interested and wants to talk. So there are there are negotiations ongoing. I also know that the ACC universities fit North Carolina, Duke. They fit what the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors want to do. Big 12, not so much. Forget geography for a second because geography doesn't seem to matter to anybody right now. What matters is money and saving face. And I think the face-saving move for the Pac-12 would be this partnership with the ACC. The ACC schools are locked into a deal with ESPN until 2036. As we discussed earlier with Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network president, um, if you had a loose partnership, instead of merging the conferences, you wouldn't affect the television deal that the ACC currently has. So maybe this is just semantics uh, for now on that partnership. I also know that Oregon's wish list was to be part of the Big Ten or SEC. That's where Oregon wanted to be. But they're not getting an invite right now. The brand of Oregon, strong. No denying Oregon's got a strong brand. The television footprint of Oregon, not as strong. And unfortunately, when it comes to negotiating these deals, the TV executives will tell you it's households in your TV market that matter. It's why the Bay Area matters more than the two schools in Oregon. It's why Phoenix is important to the Pac-12. It's why Seattle's important. All those things beyond those things, yeah, brand and success, they all play into uh, you know, the, the factor. They all factor here. But the television households is bigger. Uh, that is a bigger factor than anything. And when you look at the ACC, we're talking 28 million households in markets like Boston, New York, Miami, and the Big 12, about 14 million households. You get Houston, you get Dallas, Fort Worth, but then not a lot after that. Let's go to McMinnville. Bryant is in McMinnville. Go ahead, Bryant. Hi, John. Can you hear me? Yes. I got gotcha. you. Okay, yeah. I just want to say I love listening to you. Thank uh, you. I think it's pretty darn easy, at least for people my age. I just turned 64. And I believe that it, are, are you still taking questions on the lack yeah. of interest in sports? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to admit, I was the biggest sports nut in the world. You know, 10 Super Bowls out of 20 in, in fantasy football. And, boy, over the last 10 years, the lack of loyalty, and I know I'm aging myself in uh, in sports. People just go in any, any team they want to. And cell phones. Cell phones have greatly reduced our, our – uh, we have a tension span of an ant. At least I do. The only, only full games I will ever watch anymore is Linfield College you know, with the longest winning streak in the United States and uh, in football. And I have to admit, I think the older I get, my priorities have changed. And But, again, I would put most of the uh, most of the blame on, on cell phones, instant gratification, yeah. and, and just, just having the ease of information. 
I used to love to watch Notre Dame back in the 70s, early morning, and then in the, a little bit of NFL highlights before the game's on Sundays. And like you had said before, now you can watch anything at any time. Yeah. I think that old cell phone has been the, uh, is going to be the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the end of America as I've known it. I actually well. broke down and got an iPhone, and I have to admit my interest in sports. I follow Adley Rutschman on baseball, and that's about it. Yeah, it, and isn't that interesting? And I think some people, others would tell you they're more into their fantasy team than their regular team, and others yet would tell you, no, I'm into what I have a wager on versus everything else. Let's go to Vancouver. Brandon is, is in Vancouver. Brandon, welcome. Hello. Hey, if I'm Washington State and Oregon State, I'm looking at the remaining 10 members, and I don't think the Pac-10 can tolerate losing one more. I think the 10 that are still around are nervous. If you lose even one, I think it's going to send the rest of the teams uh, scampering to the X. Yes. And I don't think uh, Oregon State and Washington State have a good landing spot. And if I'm them, I'm going to start proactively trying to get myself into the Big 12, if possible, before that all goes down. Otherwise, I don't think they have a landing spot other than maybe the Mountain West. And secondly, um, I actually think the Pac-12 could survive this situation if they had taken advantage of a team in our footprint that is no longer available. That's BYU. I think BYU and another school that's out there, those two teams could replace yeah. The, the LA schools and the Pac-12 yeah. would still be solvent, but yeah, uh, it would it would from BYU. competition. I appreciate the call, Brandon. We got to run here, but compet competitively, yeah, like BYU. You could argue the success of BYU in recent years has been better than USC. Like you could make that argument, but the television households in Salt Lake City do not equal LA, and that is the problem. And that, frankly, is what is driving uh, sports right now, and it's driving the realignment in college football. So tomorrow we're going to have a whole bunch more. This will all shift in the next 24 hours. But don't wait 24 hours. Get to johnconzano.com. Make sure that you are following me there, and I will catch you back here tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m.